Please turn with me in the book of Romans or find your bulletin insert if you don't have your Bible with you to uh, the latter part of chapter 12. We'll begin to read at verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter. And as we will be reading those words together in unison, and while you're searching for that, it's always a delight to welcome people back to the church who whom God has called to other places. I see the Loftus family in the back. We're certainly glad to have you here today. And as uh, most of the church family is aware, another of our families, God has uh, called away, Brian and Rebecca Milling, and they will be moving uh, to Greenville as they now have a contract on their house. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for being a part of this church and uh, Brian and Rebecca, for your leadership in so many different ways. Rebecca was uh, on our staff here at the preschool, and of course Brian has been an elder, and uh, we hope God's best for you in the days to come. It seems like Greenville keeps taking our people away, <laughs> and they don't give very many back. So, uh, But we do know that uh, whatever church God places you in, they'll be blessed. Let's read the Word of God together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A Yale Divinity professor tells the story of going to a a conference on church renewal some time ago, and for two days over the course of that conference, the various plenary speakers before the main group, they talked about uh, these successes of their various congregations. Uh, One church had experienced remarkable growth, both in membership as well as Uh, budgetary giving. Uh, Another church was strengthening their congregation's spirituality through an extensive 
ministry of small groups that they had initiated and they were talking about the the great percentage of their congregation who were in the Word week in and week out. Another church had initiated several ministries of community service in their small town that was making a, a huge difference on people's lives. As they spoke, it was just like there was one rosy success story after another. And on the second day of the conference, the Yale professor was sitting there at the table and across the table from him happened to be another professor, this one from Vanderbilt Divinity School. And and quite sincerely, this professor made this statement. This is all so impressive, you know, what we're hearing. I mean, at my church, we're always grateful if in any given week we can manage to stand each other. You know, as we read through Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, we can see that many people in that congregation had many disputes and arguments going on about all sorts of different things. And at times, it seems as though they weren't able to stand each other very well. And it's within the midst of those disputes that Paul gives us that wonderful chapter on love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul talks about love in terms like these. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we all know those words, even if, we're, even if we don't have them memorized. We, we've been to plenty of weddings, and that passage probably gets used more than any other in weddings in our day and time. But if you remember the context of that love chapter, it was written in response to a dispute about spiritual gifts. It seems that those who did or could speak in tongues within the life of the Corinthian church, they sort of held themselves up on a spiritual level that was higher than anyone else in the congregation. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12 to remind those Corinthians of their interrelatedness, the fact that they're members of one another within the body of Jesus Christ. And then he writes 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, to remind them that what makes this interrelatedness possible is love. Now, toward the end of last week's passage, the first part of Romans 12, Paul began to talk to the Roman church about this same subject, how we're all members of one another within the body of Christ. And as he speaks of this interrelatedness, notice how today he begins to speak of love, where he says, let your love be genuine. Because as 1 Corinthians makes so clear, you you can't have one without the other. And yet even though we say he begins to talk about love, it's it's kind of difficult at a first reading to to pick up on what Paul's main point here is in this passage. It just seems like a, a listing of phrases and little subjects that he just throws in there kind of hodgepodge with no rhyme or reason whatsoever. But love is the overarching topic. 
And the reason we know that is because there's no verb in the Greek in that verse. And so really what Paul is saying is literally the love that is not hypocritical. That's why our translators in ASB come up with this word genuine. Genuine is a love that is not hypocritical, but the translators also put in the verb to be because we Americans, we have to have verbs to understand what's going on. But what Paul is doing here, I believe, is that he is giving a title to this section of Romans 12, and that title is a genuine love or an unhypocritical love. And then he proceeds to give us all of these verses in rapid-fire succession to define this title. It's as if he's saying a love that is genuine will do these kinds of things. A love that is genuine will abhor evil and will hold fast to what is good. A love that is genuine will manifest itself in brotherly affection. A love that is genuine will show honor. And on and on we go. Now that term brotherly affection or brotherly love, as some translations put it, gives this whole passage a sort of feel of family. There's a familial feel going on here. It reminds us once again that the church is portrayed as a family. We are brothers and sisters, not just of Christ, but brothers and sisters of one another, the family of God. That's why we should love one another with brotherly affection. Paul uses the term Philadelphia here, and the root of this word was generally applied to loving relations among family members. In other words, as the family of God, as a spiritual family, the church is to show the intimacy and the tenderness toward one another that remind you of caring families here on earth of which you were aware. Hopefully you were born into one of those caring families. So you already have the example of what a care for one another is all about. I had the good fortune of being born into one of those families. Uh, I only have one sibling, an older brother, by the name of Steve, and he lives up north of Lenore, North Carolina, in the Yadkin River Valley on Highway 268, which incidentally is a wonderful motorcycle road. It's not too good on cars, but it's a wonderful motorcycle road. And even though he's two hours away, we talk on the phone or email practically every week, and we can talk about most anything. We talk about our families, of course. We talk about our children. We talk about our churches. He's in leadership in the Baptist congregation, of which he's a part in Lenore. And so we talk about our churches and things that are going on. Of course, we talk about cars and motorcycles and other things. But if he called me and said that he needed me, I would be there. And I know he would do the same for me as well. And that's what Paul is describing here, where he talks about the family of God and this love that we are to have for one another. And if you look at verses similar to these in all of Paul's letters, you can see that he, he pictures this genuine love for one another as having the same care for one another. We see that term quite often, just like a family. And if you follow that phrase, one another, through the latter half of the New Testament, you'll see that we really do need each other. 
In fact, Paul uses this one another phrase three times in this brief passage before us today. We see much the same at the end of Ephesians 4 when he writes, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Think about how there is no forgiveness without God's love. And so love continues to provide the foundation for this care that we have for one another that can be seen and experienced in so many different ways as we live our lives week in and week out. We can see this same idea in the Old Testament wisdom literature. For example, the preacher in Ecclesiastes 4 reminds us of the benefit of being with others and caring for one another. He says there, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, we usually read that, and we think about it physically speaking. But let's think about that spiritually speaking. How can one keep warm alone? How can one be a glow in the Spirit alone? You've probably heard this old illustration through the years of the young man who didn't really think much about Sunday morning worship. He was a believer. He believed in God. He believed in Jesus Christ. He trusted in Jesus for his sins, but he didn't really see the purpose of coming to worship on a Sunday morning with the people of God and in no uncertain terms told his pastor that one day as he went to see his pastor to kind of tell him why he hadn't been at worship. I know that's a novel thing, somebody telling their pastor why they hadn't been at worship, but he did. And as they're talking, the pastor says, well, I agree with you. You know, you can worship God anywhere. Scripture teaches as much. We can worship God anywhere and at any place and at any time. But God has placed within us not only a need for God and a need to worship Him, but a need for each other as well. And then he said, look at that fire in my fireplace. You see those coals are just glowing red under there. They've been that way for hours. And then he took his tongs and he picked one out and put it out on the hearth all by itself. And they watched as that went from a glowing red to an ashen gray to dying just in a matter of minutes right before their very eyes. And the pastor said, that's what it's like when you try and live the Christian life by yourself. Paul says here to be fervent in spirit, or as the RSV puts it, be aglow with the spirit. It seems to me that is impossible without being connected with the, with the body of Christ, without being a part of this family, without love and, and caring for one another. And many of you do show that kind of love and care for one another. That's one of the things I keep hearing from people about this congregation when they're bragging on you to me. They're talking about the kindness that you've done for them. I run into you. I see you at hospitals where you're visiting the sick. 
I sometimes visit with homebound or those who have just undergone an operation and with pride, they show me the stack of cards that you have sent to them. And, and what a great difference those cards make. I know of at least three different families with health issues in this congregation right now who are receiving meals at home because you are making those meals available. You help babysit children. You help people move. Our youth director, Luke, can attest to that. There's a lot of meeting needs going on out there in day-to-day life. And the way we meet those needs shows to the world around us that love is the foundation of this way of life. But it's a constant call upon us And we can say that because of these active verbs that Paul continues to use all throughout this passage. Just look at them. Hold fast. Outdo one another. Be fervent. Be constant in prayer. Contribute. And seek to show hospitality. Some translations list that as practice hospitality. Think about that something you've had to practice lately. Maybe it was the piano. Maybe it was the guitar. Maybe it was golf or tennis or basketball. You know, when we practice something, we do it over and over and over again. And that's the attitude behind this entire passage. This list of Christian duties gives us an idea of the kinds of things that we do over and over. And then some things that we choose not to do on a consistent basis. If someone wants to see a true Christian, this is the type of person they will see, Paul says. One who blesses their persecutors. One that will rejoice with those who are rejoicing and one who will weep with those who weep. One who will repay no evil for evil. But they'll do the honorable thing. They never avenge themselves. They... They are not overcome by evil, but they overcome evil with good. Paul is giving us practical ways of carrying out the title of this passage when he talks about a genuine love. This love that makes community in the church possible. Now, I haven't spent much time on the meaning of these actual phrases uh, because they're not hard to understand, are they? They're very simple. This is simple language here. A genuine love is giving to the needs of the saints. We know what it means to give to the needs of the saints. There are all kinds of ways we can do that. Meals, monetary help, work in kind, all kinds of things. Just like it's a refusal to be haughty. And it's a willingness to associate with those for for whom things have not gone well in life. A genuine love is to leave vengeance to the Lord for that is His domain. That's His purview. God is the judge. We are not. A genuine love is when we practice hospitality. It's when we live in harmony with one another. That's when love is real and genuine. That's what it means to be a caring family. That's what love is all about, taking the time and making the time to do the kinds of things that clearly show to the world around us that we love one another. It's a way of life. 
because this foundational love, this love that we can have for one another because God first loved us in Jesus Christ when He gave His Son, had Him die on the cross for our sins, this love helps prioritize our lives and tells us what is really important. Uh, Just as the ESV does, some translations refer to this section as the marks of the Christian life. And it's put that way because this is the attitude toward life we see in Jesus Himself. I mean, think about it. What you know about the Lord Jesus from what you read in the Gospels about Him, think about how He fulfills every single one of these This whole list, not that it's an exhaustive list, but this whole list that Paul gives for us here in in verses 9 through 21, that's the kind of thing Jesus was doing. He was rejoicing with those who rejoiced. He wept with those who who were weeping. He was always honorable. You know, he contributed to the needs of the saints over and over again. We see Jesus fulfill uh, these kinds of... Of things, and as his servants, we're called to do the same to manifest love by the way we live each day and the decisions we make. Now, when I was in seminary the first time, I was working on my Master of Divinity degree, which is a three year degree, and I was trying to complete that in two and a half years, which I eventually did, praise God. And while I was uh, in seminary, you know, cramming all of that work into two and a half years, I just had to study all of the time. You know, you go to classes and then you study the rest of the day until 10 o'clock at night and you go to bed and you get up and do it all over again. And you do that week in and week out. And the only time I would take any time off was on Friday night after uh, dinner to uh, watch a little TV or go to the grocery store or whatever I needed to do. That was my Sabbath. But then I would study all day Saturday, Saturday night. I'd go to worship on Sunday and then study all Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and start it over again. It's sad to say, but my only extracurricular activity at that time was singing in the choir at the Due West ARP Church (laughs) under Barbara Lauderdale's direction, for those of you who know her, one of Walt Heinsohn's aunts. And so I'd go to choir practice on Wednesday evenings, but I wouldn't even stay for prayer meeting, which followed because in my mind I had too much studying to do and I just didn't have the time to do that. And then something interesting happened in my middler year. You know, when you're in seminary, you start out as a junior, then you're a middler, and then you're a senior. In my middler year, I came to know this young woman, Sarah Ritchie, an ARP from Virginia. And all of a sudden, I found myself in her dorm room on Friday nights. Yes, they would allow boys in the women's dorm, (laughs) only on the weekends, on Friday nights, you know, watching TV and chatting about this and that. And before long, I found myself in there on Saturday nights when I had been studying, you know. Uh, And then before long, I found myself eating with her in the dining hall, and we'd take these long, leisurely walks back up to the seminary building where we would sit down on some steps there under a big evergreen tree near McQuiston Divinity Hall, and we'd talk another half hour or so. I mean, now, I want to ask you, what happened to all that work I was doing? (laughs) 
I mean, did all of a sudden I didn't have any papers to do? Did I not have any books to read? Did I not have all of this uh, uh, Greek and Hebrew to work on? Well, of course not. It was all still there. I was in love. And you know, love makes a difference in how you prioritize your time. And the kinds of things you decide to do week in and week out. You and I, we may think that we have very little time in our busy lives for anything. But when we love one another, we make time. That's a genuine love. And that's what it means to be a caring family. And as we daily commit ourselves to practicing this kind of genuine love, then we will see revitalization take place. That's what we've been praying for as a congregation. And we'll also move one step closer to being the kind of church God wants us to be, to His honor and glory. Now, I don't want you to hear this as getting on you. I think you love one another pretty good, but hey, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? Amen. Let's pray together.